Good morning. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Psalms, chapter 145, beginning from verses 14 to 13, and also found on page 612 in our Pew Bibles. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will exalt you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in our brokenness. We thank you for our church and our church families. We thank you for the faithful ones who work to further your word. Guide our thoughts as we listen to your message you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Esther. Thank you, Shelley. I also want to say thank you and congratulations to Adam, uh, who provided us with a wonderful opportunity to celebrate what the Lord is doing among us and We've come a long way since we first met, and I uh, look forward to more um, in the future. This being the last Sunday of November means that this is the last Sunday of our 2023 Bethesda Church Missions Month. It also means that you still have time to sign the cards as well as drop in a little something into the tin to go toward gift cards for our beloved missionaries as Michelle mentioned just a few minutes ago during the announcements. I want to say thank you to those of you who have already done your part earlier in the month to care for and express appreciation for our missionaries, and I'd like also to thank you who will contribute or already have contributed yet today toward closing out this emphasis on missions and giving. And believe it or not, next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent 2023. So this morning, I'd like to connect or bridge these two important aspects of the Christian faith, that is, engaging in and supporting missions that others might hear of the the one who came to save us. So we've got missions, we've got evangelism, and we're celebrating the one who came, Jesus Christ, um, uh, and, and our celebration happens every year at this season. Of course, we celebrate his coming, the coming of Israel's Messiah, the Christ of the church, the Savior of the world, the Lord of glory, 
Indeed, the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Son of Mary, namely Jesus of Nazareth. And we begin every year on the first Sunday of Advent with hope, and so we look forward to to that beginning next week. This morning, I'd like to connect them, our missions month and the soon arriving Advent season, by, by giving a close reading of Psalm 145 in a message entitled, The One True and Living God, Great in His Goodness, Good in His Greatness. I offer offer it as a precursor to our Advent series or theme, the sovereign goodness of God in the coming of Messiah and Christ. We often think and we often speak about God's various attributes as if they exist in a vacuum, as if they stand alone, as if God is sometimes this and at other times he's that. And in this we fail to remember that he is God is. And he is eternal, infinite, simultaneous, always, and the only true God. Now we can think and we can talk about God's love apart from his holiness, and we often do, or his mercy apart from his justice, and we often do. But these go seamlessly and perfectly together without contradiction. Why? Because God is And he is each of these eternally, infinitely, simultaneously, always, and the only one. We can think and talk about God's great grace, but to do so mistakenly, even disastrously, apart from his righteous judgments. His grace and his righteousness go together. We can think and talk about God's compassion, but apart from his own personal suffering in Christ at the cross. And finally, as Christians and churches, we can and we often do think of and speak about God's word quite apart from his spirit and God's spirit quite apart from his word. But God, the one true and living God, as revealed in the Bible, is. All his attributes, infinitely, eternally, simultaneously, always the only. This is precisely why Thomas Chisholm could write in his wonderful hymn about God to God, Great is thy faithfulness. He wrote these lines, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Each of these four lines have distinct corollaries in Scripture, but Lamentations 3 seems to be the primary source of Chisholm's lyric. But before we read verses 21 and following, let's be aware that the first 20 verses of Lamentations chapter 3 are deep, deep lamentation. Sadness and almost inconsolable grief expressed in words. So then we get to verse 21 and we read, But this, in contrast to what I've been feeling, in contrast to what I've just been saying, in contrast to what I've just written, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love, and this is that great Hebrew word chesed, 
that is so much greater than we can ever put it together in English. That's why it's translated in so many different ways. Steadfast love, great compassion. Um, uh, it, it just has a, a number of possible translations to it depending on context. But it's, it's, it's the love that only God can bring. Only God can give. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And here we see, uh, as we've noted before, the covenantal name of, of God, the Lord, Yahweh, who was revealed uh, as such to Moses at the burning bush and reveals himself throughout Scripture in the Old Testament as the one whose name he has revealed to us, Yahweh, much like the person of Jesus. The steadfast love of Yahweh never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Yahweh is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Yahweh is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Another important biblical Christian dyad of God's nature, character, and attributes is his greatness and his goodness. He is both simultaneously at the same time great and good. In addition to the characteristics we've already reviewed, the God of the Bible is also infinitely, eternally, simultaneously, always the only great and good God. And God is altogether and unrestrainedly great. And God is altogether and unassailably good. And just to be clear, God is not greatest in comparison to other greats, nor is he best in comparison to other goods. Rather, he and he alone is, and infinitely so, and eternally so, Great and good. Now, we will have many, many opportunities in our lives, in our ministry, here at Bethesda, you and I, to question or to doubt or to dismiss or even to disbelieve the clear biblical Christian truth that God is great and God is good. When this begins to happen usually due to some adverse circumstance or disappointment, when we begin to question, when we begin to doubt, when we begin especially to disbelieve God's greatness or his goodness, we begin to act outside of that confidence in his greatness or his goodness. We, we, we begin to think we know better. We begin to think we could do better. Now, it, it's not, I want to be very clear about this, it's not that God can't handle or is angered by our, our questions. He stands ready to answer them all. And there's a pretty good chance he's answered them all already in Scripture. And they're waiting there for us to discover. But the question about our questions is whether we're ready for God's answers. Are we asking honest questions in that we are really looking for the answers and are trusting God for them? Oftentimes, I think we're not, because, again, we convince ourselves that we know better. Over time, we might wonder if God exists at all. If he did exist, why didn't he do anything about the Holocaust, for example? 
If he does exist, why does he allow cancer to take our loved ones? If he does exist, why did he allow terrorists to kill more than 1,200 of his very own chosen people a month ago? Again. Or why did he allow the Khmer Rouge to kill over 2 million of their fellow Cambodians in the 1970s? Think of 2 million people. You see, our questions could literally be infinite in the end and forever. God still is great and good. And what is true for individuals can be true for whole churches. The death of a local church often begins years, even decades earlier, when a lack of confidence in God's greatness and goodness begins to fester. Doubt begins to creep in, perhaps in the pastor's own preaching and teaching. Then hope and expectancy begin to be missing in the prayers offered in that place and among those people. Eventually, weak and failing faith metastasizes into full-blown unbelief to the point we begin to question whether God exists at all and we act as if he doesn't. But here's the thing. Confidence in God's greatness and in his goodness protects us from unbelief. Believing that God is great Believing that God is good, believing that God is, and not only based on our own personal experience, but our confidence in the authority and truth of the Bible is a key protection against disastrous and deadly disbelief in both individuals as well as in churches. In fact, as you see there, that's the central truth of our message for this morning. Confidence in God's greatness and goodness protects us from unbelief. Confidence in God's greatness and an equal confidence in his goodness offers a key protection against disastrous and deadly disbelief for both individual Christians and whole churches. And this is what I'd like for us to talk about here this morning, God's goodness and his greatness, simultaneous, infinite, eternal, Always and only. But before we get into it any further and turn to our text, let's ask for the Lord Jesus' favor and the Spirit's presence. For without him, we are lost. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do thank you for this opportunity for us to hear your word, to see your word in action, to believe your word, and Lord, yes, to teach and preach your word. We thank you for all the ways that you continue to minister to us through your word, by your spirit, and we ask for more this morning, according to your grace, your mercy, and your love for us, your steadfast chesed love that we are the beneficiaries of through Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us and was raised for our justification. In his name we pray, amen. This slide that I'm talking about, this slide from lacking faith and confidence in God's greatness and God's goodness to full-blown unbelief that God exists at all can perhaps be seen most immediately as an illustration in the lives of two British brothers with public recognition 
and I'm talking about Peter and Christopher Hitchens. Both were brought up in the same nominally Christian home. Both attended the same Christian, I put in in quotes, boarding school. And both had become atheists by the time they were 15 years old. The good news is that Peter reasserted his Christian faith and hope as an adult, and now he is, in Britain, a well-respected evangelical Christian, apologist, author, and journalist. Christopher, on the other hand, never came home to Christ, so far as anyone knows. In fact, he became a globally recognized atheist, a respected debater, and an incisive writer. He died in December 2011 at the age of 62 after a brave battle with esophageal cancer, during most of which he continued to write, debate, and give interviews. Now, the term atheist, a-a-theist, means not theist, or not a believer in God. And you wouldn't be surprised then by Hitchens' staunch anti-theist, anti-religion positions. And if you ever saw him debate, and, and you still can on YouTube and other resources, you would notice that his two most prominent themes were, God is not great, and God is not good, in direct contravention of what the scriptures clearly teach. Indeed, his best-selling book, and one of his last is provocatively, and I might add blasphemously, entitled, God is not, all caps, not, underline, great, in which he made his caustic case against God's greatness and against God's goodness that, in particular, the God of the Bible could not be great because he could not be good. And the God of the Bible could not be good, argued Christopher Hitchens, because he allows evil to run rampant on the earth including the cancer that would eventually kill him. Even still, Hitchens would seethe that God himself personally perpetrated what Hitchens judged to be evil on the earth, including genocide, and throughout his historical relations with mankind, as witnessed by the Old Testament especially. But as he aged, as Christopher Hitchens aged, and especially as the end of his life approached, one could discern a a new yet unseen humility toward and even respect for his mainly Christian debate opponents. One might have hoped that with more time, faith may have come to him, but no, not so far as anyone knows or has been reported. I didn't manuscript this, but but the Lord brought this to my attention on my way here this morning. I remember seeing him in a debate with William Lane Craig, who is a very well-known in these, in these debate or, or philosophical or apologetic circles. And so he, 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 Hitchens clearly respected Lane's preparation. He clearly respected Lane's uh, um, um, uh, ability to communicate. And uh, then William Lane Craig started talking about the spiritual realm and angels and the devil, a personal devil, and demons, and angels, and, and all that stuff. And Hitchens got this look of combination between wonder and confusion. And he turns to William Lane Craig and he said, do you actually believe that? And 
I thought, and I, I, I may be completely off base here, but I thought I saw across Hitchens' face, could I have been wrong this whole time? Because here in a person who had credentials, who clearly was intelligent, Hitchens would never admit that he was more intelligent than him, but, but, but clearly on his, same, on his same level. And it just mystified him that this one who he respected believed in a personal devil. But that is what the Bible teaches. And that's what William Lane Craig said. This is why I believe it. The Bible teaches it. And I believe the Bible to be the authoritative word of God written. But the Bible as a whole, and certainly our Psalm 145 text, assert and teach and proclaim both the greatness and the goodness of the one true and living God, who reveals himself throughout the ages in the pages of Holy Scripture, and eventually and most profoundly has revealed himself in the person and in the work of Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus the Christ for short. And the undisputed heart or center of Psalm 145 is verses 8 and 9, where we read, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. I'd like for us to process this a bit. I'd, I'd like for you to look with me at the text itself, verses 8 and 9. And here we have an absolute summary statement. Verses 8 and 9, Psalm 145. An absolute summary statement, not only of Psalm 145, not only of the Psalms, not only even of the Old Testament or the whole Bible, New Testament included. This is a summary statement of who the one true and living God is, and the very nature of his being. Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in chesed. Yahweh is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So we have talked a number of times, and especially on Wednesday evenings, if you've joined us in that Bible study that we uh, enjoy every week um, as we've made it through the Psalms. In fact, next week, is Psalm 145. We're almost to, to Psalm 150. We're almost there. So hang on. We will get there. Maybe not before the first of the year, but soon thereafter. And, and here in Psalm 145, we see once again the covenant revealed name of God himself. The name he revealed to Moses when Moses said, whom shall I said sent me when he goes back to Pharaoh? And God in the burning bush says, tell them, Yahweh sent you. And we see this name with, with all caps, Yahweh, the Lord, all through the Old Testament. And, and, and I, I, I do understand, and it may rankle some to hear me say Yahweh all over again, uh, because in, in large part, uh, the Jewish community believes that, that name to be so holy that they don't even say it. It's in the text. But they don't say it. They say rather Adonai, my Lord, which is more of a title but not a name. But the reason we know that God wanted to know him by name is that he gave us his name. And he writes it by the Holy Spirit through a number 
of, uh, of his servants, including David here in Psalm 145, write the name, speak the name, praise the name Yahweh. Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in chesed, steadfast love. Yahweh is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Wow. So there are a couple of things that I want us to be aware of as we uh, uh, close out the message this morning. First of all, this is a song of praise of David. You'll notice there on the top at the, at the title. It's part of the text. I mean, the, the Hebrew text. It's part of scripture to say a song of praise of David. And so that's why I read it every time I come to it, because it's part of the scriptures. And then he says, David says, I will extol you, my God and King. This is, this is Elohim. And you know I love this name. It's not a name so much as, a, again, an identification of, of the one true and living God. Uh, and Elohim literally means God's, plural. And it's the same, exactly the same word that's used for the gods of the nations. We know they are not the one true and living God. Except when it, when it applies to the one true and living God, the God of Israel, the God of uh, Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. Um, it is a plural word, subject, Elohim, gods, followed by a singular verb, always. So a plurality acting as one. When there are personal references, it's to he, him, his, singular, masculine. Elohim, plural, he, him, his, singular. So God is telling us something about himself here when we read in the scripture that he is our Elohim. He is our plural God, if you can put it that way. Uh, sometimes I say a plural singularity or a singular plurality. God is in his very being, maybe we could say it this way, a community of three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We get that from the New Testament. I don't think we do any violation to the text reading back into it. We're Christians, by the way. And this is a Christian congregation and a Christian message. So all the information from all the scriptures that we can take to bear on any particular message or text, I think is fair game and we ought to do that. So we read back into text, if God identifies himself as Elohim, God's plural, with a singular purpose that is reflected by a singular verb, then what does that tell us? Well, I think we take from the New Testament that tells us that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together working in action or in unison together uh, from creation uh, to the return of Christ. And bless your name Forever and ever. Your here, by the way, is singular. Elohim, plural, but it's singular. And king. Every day I will bless you and, and praise your name forever and ever. Great is Yahweh. And greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. I'm reading the English Standard Version here. One generation shall commend your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts on the gracious, 
uh, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak, they, they being his wondrous works and the glorious splendor of his majesty, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. What is he talking about here? He's not talking about persons. He's talking about the splendor of his majesty and the wondrous, wondrous works that he has done. Um, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Verses 8 and 9. Yahweh is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, chesed. Yahweh is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And then in verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Yahweh. And all your saints shall bless you. Isn't that interesting? That word saints. This is an Old Testament passage, Psalm 145. But here the term is saints, which is the most common word used in the New Testament for God's own people, the followers of Jesus, born again by the Spirit of God and bought by the blood of Christ, saints. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Yahweh, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. So notice there, from verses 1 through 7, they refers to his wondrous works, his majesty, his splendor. Now they refers to his people. You see that? Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And then a line here, you may have it in brackets because the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament is the only place it shows up. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. That works. That sounds like the Lord that he's speaking of here, Yahweh. Um, So we don't have any trouble reading it or preaching it. The goodness of God. The greatness of God. These two things are unassailable. They are who he is. And he is always good, and he will forever be great. And we look to him in this coming Advent season, because in his greatness and his goodness, he has chosen to act on our behalf in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning, and you've never come to him as Savior and Lord, you've never, you don't even know what that means, perhaps, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Yuri, and we'll be glad to talk to you. But uh, on, uh, during this Advent season... May we give thanks and may we give praise to the good and great God who sent Jesus, his son, to save us from our own sins. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we once again thank you for this, your word. We thank you for your love and your grace continually extended to us. We are so thankful that the one true and living God is good and not evil. The one true and living God is gracious and not stingy with your favor. The God of the one true and living God is is loving and not cruel. The God, the one true and living God is merciful and not condemning. 
Thank you for what you have done on our behalf in Jesus, and it's to him we look for our faith, for our hope, for our everything. In his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 145 continues from verse 14. Yahweh upholds all who are failing, all who are falling, rather, and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Yahweh is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Yahweh is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Yahweh preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of Yahweh and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. May it be from your word through our lips to your ears, dear Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.